Is the game of basketball really such an unpredictable game? Is it a waste of time to even work on moves? Well, let's take a look at this play by Justin Ray, a high school player out of South Carolina, and compare it to a play made earlier by Jordan Poole in the preseason. And what you'll find is that they are near identical replicas. So much so that I can put them into a sentence. Inverted load step with a turn push, partial step, floating speed stop, same wing, same three ball, same play. Because of this, I was willing to bet that Justin saw this play and then went out and deliberately trained for it. So after filming our podcast, I reached out to Justin and he confirmed. He saw the play, he trained for it, and then he pulled it off in the exact same way. What does this tell us? Well, first, it tells us that techniques exist. And second, it tells us that moves can be intentionally performed despite the environmental differences of any given play. And it tells us that we are living in the most data-rich basketball world that we have ever lived in, where we can watch the NBA, study details, and explicitly extract those techniques and place them into our own game, sometimes in pieces and sometimes in exact sequences. This isn't a question of what information was present in the environment to cause Justin to self-organize and come to a movement solution. If that were the case, how could he have ended up performing an exact replica of this play by Jordan Poole? Different situation, different environmental constraints, but yet the exact same move was performed. Why? Because the game of basketball is definitely a game that is filled with intentional moments where you can even pull off the exact moves and techniques that you've repped out and trained for. It tells us that the game of basketball can be played intentionally and consciously, and that this isn't just a random, reactive, unpredictable game filled with ever-changing skills that emerge from the environment. And Justin specifically looked at the game through the lens of what moves players are using, just like Kobe did with MJ, and just like we all did when watching the players that came before us as we tried to emulate their game. Considering that every player's individual constraints, action capabilities, and intrinsic tendencies are different, shouldn't these moves have been different for Justin than they were for Jordan Poole? Or, just maybe, with all the details that are available in front of us, this may be the best time in history to run towards techniques instead of running away from them. And in this episode of Dream Loudly, Bryce Stanhope and I will discuss how this process can work and how to even go about a copy and paste approach of adding skills, techniques, movements, and moves to your own game. Welcome back to Dream Loudly, and I'm Possible Originals show. We, of course, are your hosts, Michael Lancaster and Bryce Stanhope. And today we're going to talk about copy and pasting moves to get ourselves started. Um, the play, the, the catalyst of this was the play that was just done by Justin Ray, a high school player out of South Carolina, who literally pulled off an exact replica of a Jordan Poole play yeah. that happened earlier on in preseason. It was a big scoring game. And so... Exact replica. I'm, I'm talking about, yeah, the situation of how they got into the move was a little bit different, mm -hmm. but the skill stack was pretty identical. Yeah, it's pretty spot on. So, so people who know our terminology, he did an inverted load step, combine that with a turn push, which basically fakes, makes it look like you're going straight when actually the ball is, is pushed out to the side. Yep. He then takes a partial step or a dig in that direction, 
and then a floating speed stop into the shot. And so when you see the play, it is exact proof that number one, copy and pasting can happen. And I think that's a good place for us to start with because there's no way that these two plays accidentally happened. So without actually talking to Justin, I can't confirm, but I can with 99% confidence say he saw Jordan Poole because we've never really seen that combination much before, Mm -hmm. if ever. He saw Jordan Poole, then practiced that exact play, then still had the ability to do that exact play, that exact move, that exact combination from the exact area of the floor in his own game. So I guess starting there, what does that tell you already about possibilities for training? Well, I mean, I think when you look at the two plays, so like, like I know they do a lot of these videos with like Jordan and Kobe, where they'll do like halfway flashes, like halfway through the move, flip to Jordan, halfway through the move, flip to Kobe, and keeps keep going back and forth. And obviously, like we see the similarities. The same thing in this situation, like like you said, there's almost a guarantee that the high school player copied exactly what Jordan Poole did. Um, and, I, and I think that's something that we've always kind of talked about in basketball for the most part is just you're, you're stealing from the people that are kind of came before you. And so I, I think it's hard to argue that part when you just look at how basketball has developed over the years where... You know, we've seen this trend with multiple players. Jordan, you know, copied or Kobe copied Jordan. And then, you know, Kobe copied the Dirk Nowitzki fadeaway. So, like, like I have a hard time understanding how people don't understand this. It's explicit. Yeah. <laughs> so, that it, it doesn't get as much, uh, you know, much more explicit than that. So, no one was teaching him that, but he is watching it. And so he takes the explicit information, all the detail that he can see, and he's like, oh, I love that move. I'm going to work on that move. (laughs) And so that's all the evidence that we need. We talked about evidence-based training last time. Well, that's the best evidence. So you can literally watch a player's techniques and copy and paste. Now, when, when we talk like that, people always tend to think about like basketball in terms of, you know, this big umbrella statement. So it's not like everything's going to be done like that, but we shouldn't throw out working on specific moves and techniques and skills that we see because we're afraid of learning the wrong way, yeah. right? So that's clear, clear that Kobe, we already know, succeeded because of watching Jordan and copying moves. And now we have high school players who are literally able to see in live time NBA players pull off complex sequences and pull off the exact sequences from A to Z, which yeah. I think is crazy. So I, I remember a YouTube video you had a long time ago. Um, and gosh, this is like the 2010s um, where, where it's even more true nowadays where we used to talk about YouTube was really the only platform at that time where it's just like, okay, watch them do the move, pause it rewind it, watch them do the move, pause it, rewind it. And that's the really cool thing now is players have the ability to watch on so many platforms and just constantly see it. And I've always talked about this with like NBA players, kids outside of the DNA structure of like height, size, athleticism. I know that stuff plays a role. I think that's the true advantage of being an NBA player's son is you grow up around the game, you watch the way people move, and then you can, you just copy and paste it. Um, one of the players that we used to train uh, um, from when he was young up and still till now, Brian Antoine. Brian Antoine um, actually just had a 30, 30 ball the other, or last night. But uh, 
his little brother, Eon. Brian Antoine's one of the best shooters in the country from when he was a kid all the way up. His little brother, Eon, growing up around him, never, never trained with us. Eon never, he's probably like seventh, eighth grade now, has an unbelievable shot from growing up around his brother and just his brother making him copy and paste what he does. Mimicking the movements. Yeah, you're just yeah. mimicking the movement. So like, I feel like it's so hard. And, and I mean, this was one of the ones, I can't remember what trainer said this, but it sticks in my mind is they said, let the game teach the game. And I, I really like that quote, but I think they were taking it in the wrong direction of basically just play the game and let the game teach you. Where what we're doing is we're taking the game and we're using the game to still teach the game. But it's the actual piece of the game that players are doing, not hoping that they find those things. It's like we talked about last week. It's the real data that's found yeah. in the game. And I was just talking to our trainers on our you know weekly Zoom call yesterday. Yeah about this like i'm more excited about the details of the game this year than i was last year yeah because the footage now it's unbelievable it was getting great last year some but of it looks so good that it almost looks fake yeah it's, it's like hollywood style it's clear clear and and like i'm already noticing details that i've never seen before which is rare for us because we've you know we've we've researched yeah. this game so deeply and so i'm seeing some details that you know on a regular basis that were slipping by in the past. Mm -hmm. And it's because we literally can see everything so clearly now, every game. You know, I can only imagine if we had today's video camera and social media when Jordan was playing, how much more we would have gotten from him, right? Kobe, how much more we would have gotten from him. Because even their footage is so grainy yeah. and, and spotty and it's, it's anything, not zoomed in. Anything like pre-2015 is not that great of footage. It's crazy, and, and and so we talked about this for a while because we were at that famous, you know, Kobe Jeremy Lin game. Oh yeah, you were at that game, right? Yep. Okay. Worst day of my life. <laughs> so, but we were like pretty much courtside. We were we were three or four seats back. Yep. And I gained such an appreciation for footwork that day than I have than than even I had before because I could see things in in a in such a way that you just can't appreciate from mm -hmm. watching on TV. But now with social media and these cameras being so close Crazy. and everything being so like zoomed in on everything, so pinpoint. it's like that, but better because you can get even closer yeah. and it's, it's almost clearer than it is in person. Yeah. Which I and, don't understand how that happens. And you can replay it and you can pause it and you can stop it. So mm -hmm. it's never been a better time in the history of basketball to take the data that we're seeing from the game mm -hmm. and then put it right into training. And that's why I think... This is the worst time ever to start running away from detail than I ever could imagine <laughs> ever being. I can see people jumping to the conclusions that they're, that they're jumping to 10 years ago when we didn't have as close a, as much footage. But now the game is so documented and so easy to see the detail that I just don't even understand, you know, why this would be the time to run from that. Yeah. I, th I, think, I think the part that throws me off of when people are talking about, um, I always forget the word, not, not CLA, but like, like the real evidence. I, I, I struggle with the part of it of where people are looking for real evidence outside of basketball. Like we talked about this in the, in the last episode a little bit. It's like all the studies and everything are coming from everything but basketball. And then, you know, when we talk to these same people, like, oh, who are your favorite players of all time? You know, Kobe's always going to be on that list for people. 
But if you listen to almost everything Kobe talks about, it's always about, you know, angles of feet, you know, angles of attack, stuff like that. And then where he's like watching players, like he talks about pausing Jordan, looking where his hips are at, looking where his feet are pointed, you know, looking what shoulders coming through, whatever it is. So it's just like, when you look at that stuff, I have a hard, hard, hard time with right now, like how people are making those connections between those two things. Yeah, because it, 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 Kobe would be, you know, in disbelief. I, th- I, of, I honestly of being think so. told that his film study really isn't even the reason. Your attention mm-hmm. to detail really isn't the reason. You must have done some kind of, you know, um, small sided activities that made you who you are. You just don't remember it, yeah. right? And and that's what it always is when you're playing games. It is that. So. But that would be saying that only the games that Kobe played actually added up to that value. Yeah. But without ha- rehashing what we talked about last week, I want to go ahead and just play this clip of Kobe talking about and trying to explain his game, which parts of it I think are funny. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot that we can learn from this. So I'm going to go ahead and play this, this clip real quick. Unstoppable. You have to have a lot of moves. Awesome. How many here think you have to have a lot of moves? Uh, I, have, I have two. How's it have I have two. On the perimeter, I have two moves. On the post, two moves. That's it. So the perimeter, I'll go right, pull up, shoot. Left, pull up, shoot. The post, turn left shoulder, fade away. Turn right, fade away. Stop it. So now when I go right. All right, so stopping right there. So that's the part that I think is hilarious because <laughs> what kind of moves is he talking about? Yeah. So I we're going to talk about what he... I think is trying to communicate, but obviously Kobe had more than two moves. Yes. He's calling a move, a pull up right and a pull up left and a fade away, turning over your right shoulder and, and turning over your left shoulder, which is one of the worst ways to describe moves. Yeah. I think I've ever heard anyone talk about, but I think it's because he was trying to get to a certain point. Yeah. But you know, that part to me, people do talk like that. Yeah. Where basketball is this simple game. Simple. And That's what I was going to say go right. Go left, turn right, turn left. See, that's how easy yeah. basketball is. Okay. Which, if I'm taller, bigger, and more athletic, basketball kind of is that easy at times. But it is funny listening to someone like Kobe, who was incredibly skilled. Yeah. Who had you know, you know, crazy the, detail, the, the Samsonite luggage, right, going yeah. for him, and so he had everything. So obviously, he had more than two moves. Yeah. But what I'm going to get to is what he's talking about is he played the game very intentional. Mm -hmm. And so he wasn't just randomly guessing on the basketball court. And when we go to that Justin Ray play, you know, the thing that we keep hearing people talk about is that the game is just so unpredictable. And it's not. It's not that unpredictable of a game. So much to the point that Justin Ray was able to pull off the exact replica of a Jordan Poole play Exact move, exact skill stack from the exact area of the floor, even though the environment and the defense were playing him differently. Yeah. So it's not that unpredictable. And because I know he, he would have worked on it after seeing Jordan, it probably was even in his head in that moment, whether or not he thought about it like, like we're talking now. Consciously, he's aware that I'm about to do this move that I've put in reps in. So the game is predictable. The game, and, and we can play the game like that. And that's what I think Kobe's trying to get to is playing simple. I'm going to get to my spot. I'm going to get to my spot. And he called those moves. Yeah. So, so that's something that I, I 
talk to my players a lot about, and I, I do think this is why a lot of people have problems with with game transfer is when they when they think about using a move, it's almost they're in a one hundred percent like reactive like mindset. Like, oh, I got to go out there. Like, if they do that, I even had a parents tell me one time, I just don't see out there where where he can do those moves. So, and it, and it's not all the time because we've talked about it. There are moments in the game where you know you're reactive and stuff, but most of the time that a player does a move, it's because they want to do that move. And then it's just your job to stop me. Right. So, and again, that's what Kobe's kind of talking about. I'm going to get to my spot. And then again, obviously, if you play good defense, I have pump fakes, pivots, and things like that, which are all moves. They're moves on top of just getting to a spot. But like, I think that's what players are struggling with the most. Like, okay, I just worked on a drop through this week. You can either hope it randomly appears in the game and you have kind of one of those like, ooh, ah moments where like I did this, like, oh my gosh. Or I can just actively think about like, okay, I'm coming up. Maybe this guy's been playing me a little hard right or shading me right, whatever. And I'm just going to do this move. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, I can always just back it out or kick it or whatever. But I think a lot of players are just because it's so talked about in basketball, like they're in such a reactive mindset, but they're not making logical just decisions and choices. And I think some of it comes to a lot of trainers who are pushing the reactive environment. Mm Mm-hmm never played and we've talked about that so many times I feel like a broken record sometimes but they never really played basketball and a lot of times um you know they they have all these reasons of why they didn't have success yeah right and so now I think a lot of trainers are on this mission to make sure that kids didn't don't experience what they experienced and they're throwing out training and different things that they tried all because they weren't good players yeah but when you didn't play you don't know this mindset and so you know, most players, when you're talking to NBA players, you know, they're not out there guessing. Yeah. And so I think the psychology of this is people are basically assuming, you know, when, when parents are asking this question, that offensively I'm dribbling and I'm going to wait until my defense gives me a certain action and now I'm going to know how to respond based on what the defense just did into a certain move. So they're almost looking at basketball as they do this, you do a drop. They do that, you do this move. They do this, you do the other move. And if you're trying to do that as a basketball player, that's not going to work because you're, you're, you're always playing reactive. And we got to be so careful about that as trainers of putting people in that type of psychology. So there is an intentionality to basketball where I'm dribbling up the court and I'm, and they don't have to necessarily, people always think that we're thinking like details, but you still know. So I'm going to yeah. go up the court and I'm going to do a drop. Kobe did a drop as a starting point on most of his moves. So was he thinking drop in his head? Not necessarily by the word, but was he thinking drop by his movement? Mm-hmm. Yes. So I'm going to do my drop and I'm in my head. I'm going right and I'm going to get to the elbow. So he is intentional. That's one of his moves. And he's planning on doing that. And planning is not a bad thing. No. Premeditation is a part of basketball yeah. as much as people have demonized it. So, and that and that's what he's going to continue talking about here. So he does a drop. He's going to go right. And what I call it is you're planning on doing that. You have the intention of doing that, but you always have the ability to have an exit plan, an yeah. exit strategy. So if they do guess right, if the defense does cut it off, now you still have to have the ability to change your mind. But the changing of your mind doesn't mean you didn't have a plan. Yeah. And I think that's where people get lost. And I'd hate to be a basketball player nowadays trying to play basketball 
without having any plans or any intentions. It'd be, it'd be tough. And that, uh, I think that's a different speech. It might be this speech too, where Kobe talks about it, but um, he talks about how so many players are trying to just play by essentially guessing that they themselves have no idea what they're about to do. Like even if you take it down. Same, to, same one. Yeah. So even if you take it down to like the simplest aspect in the world, coming off a screen and shooting. If I'm coming off that screen, I know I'm going to shoot it. Like that's my whole mindset. Or at least a 95% hunt. Yeah. Like, like I am coming off just to shoot it. Then if something happens, like they shoot under the screen, they get between it, whatever, then, okay, I've got to change whatever my plan just was. But I still have a really good idea coming around that screen exactly what I'm going to do. Um, and some of that, you know, could be from how they've been playing me all game. Like, oh, they've been going over top of this screen every time. They're trailing me every single time. So, okay, so if they've been trailing me every time, obviously I'm going to turn my way to the basket for something. Could be a one dribble pull-up, could be going to the rack. But, like, those are still intentions that are being made throughout that. That's why, like, even when you think of, re like, reactions, like, true, true reactions, they're typically pretty, like, ooh and ah moments. Like, like you, you surprise, like, the fan base. Like, you're driving, you get cut off, and you just quick go through the legs or quick cross. It's impressive. Like, it's a quick reaction. But it's still, I think, much fewer. Like, I'd be, I'd be even interested in that, like, going through a full game and trying to pick out moments that were truly, truly split-second reactions. Yeah, it'd be the minority of the game. Yeah. It'd be definitely the you know, the smaller aspects of it. And that's what I call, you know, reflex reactions. Yeah. And that's not the majority of basketball, but it, it seems to be the majority of reaction training. Yeah. Um, you know, an example of it would be, you know, we, we have our rip light and then there's the blaze pods that are out there. Mm -hmm. So blaze pods are a fine product. They take a, a lot of um, programming set up. They yeah. have tons of different colors that you can go off of. And so often though, the training that's happening with them is just straight reflex reactive training. Where, okay, the, the light turns red over there. You got to go over there. And then it turns, mm -hmm. now you got to go over there. And you're reacting off of where the lights tell you to go with no real plan or intentionality in it. Where our lights allow players to be more intentional. So, you know, the, to, without going crazy into it, we have three colors, no more than three, because we don't want to you know, make the game more complex yep. than that. I get to the spot. I do my drop, I turn on the light. There's only three possibilities. So now we can set green and blue as drive, which would be the most probable, that's my plan, but red could be a cross. Yeah. And now you have the intention mapped, the player is going to drive, but they have the exit plan of being able to cross. That's not a reaction as much as it's a response. And that's what people need to understand the difference of. A, a response is something that's more, more of an educated decision. It's a plan ahead of time. It's engineered. It's still a reaction, but it's not so fast that I can't consciously make these decisions. Even if I'm not thinking cross, I know what my exit plans would be. Mm -hmm. Okay, now let's go ahead and, and jump in what Kobe continues to say. To be unstoppable, you first have to be predictable. Because if you're unpredictable, <laughs> you don't know what the heck you're going to do. So how can you dictate to the defense what you're going to do? Right? So you have to be very simple. So I know if I have a chance, I'm going to go right and shoot. You know I want to go right and shoot because now I go right two times, make it. You're expecting me to go right. Now I control you. you now I'll fake right, go left. Don't do it. I say I want to go. Right? Now I go left. And you're like, oh, he's going to make another one. Now I pump fake. You jump. Now I draw a foul. <laughs> so 
if you're unpredictable, you don't even know what you're going to do. Yeah. And I think the, the key th- thing there is he talked about dictating to the defense. You don't dictate to the defense reactively. Yeah. You dictate to the defense intentionally. Mm-hmm. So you have intentional movements that you're planning on doing, intentional spots that you're planning on getting to. And because you're being predictable, or I would say a better word would be intentional, mm-hmm. now you control the game in a whole different way. So to me, that's where skill training needs to go to, is helping players be more intentional, not be more reactional. Yeah. So, so obviously, I'm, I'm a huge, huge Kobe fan. Um, Kobe, Kobe's kind of my Jordan um, where I, I saw more the tail end of Jordan for the most part. Um, but like, I, I remember almost copycatting Kobe's game into my game. So a lot of what I was doing was built on attacking mid ranges. So that was something that, that again, like, you know, watch what video I could find like online, watch what games I could find. And again, build my game off that predictability of like, oh, he's going to pull up. He's going to pull up. And then, you know, and I would even think ahead, like, because I know if I hit two pull-ups on you, even if I go one for two, if I pump fake that third one, you're going flying. I'm going to do a little step through for just a leaner. So even when I thought stages ahead of myself, it never really caused an issue because even the times that, you know, defense, you know, you have some guys who just don't jump. Like they know they can't block jump, so they don't jump. So, okay, so I pump fake, you don't jump. I already pre kind of meditated I was stepping through. Well, you played good defense. I can just pivot out, pass it off. But all of it was premeditated for the most part. Like I knew exactly what I was going to go for on this. If you bite, you know, it worked. If you don't bite, reset. And then you have occasional moments in the game where you premeditate even more and you're just betting they're going to go for something, right? And that's part of basketball too. And players have to know how to balance that and how not to be too scripted Mm -hmm. and how not to be too robotic. We get all that. But we're heading in the in a completely opposite yeah. direction when you take that away. So I do think we need to have a um, a reminder to basketball players of how intentional great players are, and then learn how to just respond accordingly when people take it away. That's what skill training should really be based off of. But one thing that I think that is important to to address here is that it can go too far if you're just trying to plan out moves and sequences. So obviously, this we started this whole thing off talking about you know, Justin basically copying a Jordan pool play. And that does have its place. But I think we need to be careful also at the same time of making everything about trying to copy moves because you're not always going to be able to pull off the exact sequence of someone else. And so I think that's also where, where people kind of give moves a bad name is because some players can go too far in that way. But this, the reason why that's such a good example of it is because there really was only four concrete techniques. And by the way, for anyone who thinks there's no such thing as a technique, just because they don't move the same, you can look at this play. You, you can tell what it They're is. identifiable techniques, yeah. even though they move differently when they do it. Their bodies might find different solutions of how they find those techniques, but you can still identify the techniques. So, no, those are real techniques. So, he had the turn push like we talked about. And that turn push, you can get your own little flair to it, but it's still a turn push. But what I love about doing that specific move is when you practice a player's moves, the real magic isn't just being able to do that exact move, but that means that you have a good turn push now. And now you've worked on your, your inverted load step, which is your ability to plant your inside foot to the inside further in order to change directions. And so those movements end up becoming even more important than the moves themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it, gives, it allows you the ability to do two things. 
If you practice a move, you have the ability to intentionally do that move. But because you've practiced the movements inside that move, it gives you the ability to react and respond in moments you didn't even know you were going to need it. And so practicing moves has power in both ways. And so that's why I think it's so powerful to copy a Kobe Bryant. Because you might see a move that he does, and now you're trying to practice that move. But while doing it, you're also giving yourself the movements, which might even have greater results for you later on. And so I think that that's another huge thing to talk about when it talk, we're talking about copying moves, is don't just get caught up in the move itself. Get caught up in all the movements, all the techniques that are available for a player. Yeah, and, and I, I, think, I think that that one sometimes people are really hung up on copying somebody like you're trying to be identical. Like that's, that's the, that's the thing that I think I see most in the trainer world right now is like, everybody thinks you're trying to be identical and that's not really the goal. There's going to, sure, there's going to be little stuff that's different like due to my foot size or leg length or whatever. Maybe my drop's going to be a little bit quicker and shorter. Cause I think that's one thing that people get wrong about our training sometimes is we have a lot of the variability in how we teach a drop short, quick, long, like longer and skinny wide, like there's a lot of different ways that we teach that stuff where I think, and again, it's social media. Like people can only see, you know, one minute, one minute and 30 seconds of a post, whatever. Um, and chances are, if it's a minute long, they're going to watch 10 seconds, draw their conclusion and, you know, go that way. I think it's the, the ego of training, but, um, you know, we, we teach movements in so many different ways. The, the guy I always think about when we teach drops, I always think about, uh, Carmelo Anthony. Sometimes he would do that tight little drop. Sometimes he would extend it. Steph Curry's really, really good at that yep. now. Where like sometimes the drop is just short and quick. Come off the screen, little drop, step in, shoot it. Um, but with with everything we teach, I, I think that's what some people might get hung up on the mat sometimes is those, those spots on the mat, for the most part, are just reference points. Like you don't have to be exactly on one and two. You can be a little outside of it. You can be right on them. You can be really wide on those. But they are giving you the frame of reference of what a drop looks like, what it's comprised of. Yeah. Right. So like, that's what you're really doing when you practice footwork on that is like, yeah, I'm trying to be within a certain range, but I have some variability there. Like yeah. I don't have to be identical. Yeah. Variable movement. We could also just say there's variable techniques yeah. and that's what's, that's why we're seeing variable movement. Yeah. So to break this down, let's go over those drops and use the example. So just for people who, who don't know, there's, there's a standard drop, there's a skinny drop, mm-hmm. there's an open drop, um, an inverted drop. We could talk about an extended drop, a drop pivot, a delayed drop, right? So we have this list of drops, mm-hmm. and each of those would represent a new technique. And so if, if someone's like, see, you guys are just teaching one technique, the drop, there's all kinds of variable movements to that. No, no, we've already addressed that. And the fact that we've already identified the variations of a drop. And so if a player learns all those variations of a drop, now they're prepared to do that drop in all the variable yeah, movements that you're talking about. They just pick and choose what they're feeling. Then you need to understand that within a drop, everything that's categorized as a standard drop, there's still wiggle room yep. for how a player finds their drop. Mm-hmm. And that could be about slight width differences, slight foot changes, how much they engage their shoulders, how much they like to bring the ball to their pocket for each of those specific moves. 
But the most important part about it is, yeah, your skinny drop isn't going to be identical to another person's skinny drop because your bodies are different, but it still categorizes as a skinny drop. And if you'll just know as many techniques as possible, all the variable movements can be covered in training. And so those movements can now be used for different moves and, and you can be done from and copy and paste environment. You know, if I, if I say, if I see Kyrie do a delayed drop into a crossover, well, I can copy and paste that move now Mm -hmm. and it'll be a whole lot easier to copy and paste that move. If I've already learned the delayed drop, Beforehand, And I think one thing that we've noticed a lot with, with our training in general, the, the, the checklist system of going through this and this, it's making players less robotic. Most players that are robotic is because they only have one or two things that they can really actually do. Um, I had a college teammate that was like that, and uh, a bunch of our teammates would kind of get on him sometimes about like it almost looked like he was playing 1v1 versus a cone, they would say it, but like he would rep out almost only that one move, like – like maybe there was like a counter to it, but like when you start giving players like more options, okay, skinny drop, regular drop, you know, wider drop where we're getting our feet outside the mat. Now you can just kind of mold and move like, like we've always talked about, like skills equal freedom. Like that is exactly what we're talking about where like, like I know people say it a lot, like less is more is, is always the quote, but like you got to be really careful about what context you're talking about where, yeah, if that one dribble pull ups there, I want to take it. Less is more right there. Where like they're talking about when a player like that one dribble pull up was clearly there and then they try to do X, Y, and Z and move on. But like you got to be really careful with that phrase of, you know, less is more, take something away to add something. A lot of times what they're talking about is it's it's just such a different realm when you start feeding players skills. And we've always talked about it. I mean, even with NBA players, we can teach players the entire checklist system and they will all turn out different. Because they're all going to gravitate towards the things that they personally kind of like. Like I remember Evan Turner hated one foot finishing or first step finishing. And then he sent us, we sent him a video. Very first game back that season. I think they beat the Heat game one of the season. He came out of a spin move, did a one step finish. And he knew immediately yep. something was going to be said. Um, but, but I think that's the thing is just like when you start giving players more options, um, and there, there's a trainer out there that kind of takes a little bit of guff on, on Twitter or X as they call it now, where people are starting to notice that every player he works with has the exact same back. Like the moves are all the same. So I think that's the problem when you start talking about like copycatting moves is I don't want to learn just a sequence. I want to learn all the individual pieces and then let me put them together the way I kind of deem fit. And then you can have moments where maybe you do package something identical, maybe, you know, you like Allen Iverson's drop crossover and that's like, go, go, whatever. Yeah. True, true skill training. When you understand techniques and skills is the opposite of robotic. You know, I, I, we, we do occasionally see, and I think that a lot of trainers in training in general, when people think of training, they usually think, Oh, you're going to create robots. Like that's the fear of, of training. And I do think it comes from more so game situational training than anything else that if I dictate to someone, you know, the when to do something, then I'm more likely going to create a robot Mm -hmm. because like we talked about, they're looking for a certain, you know, action from the defender and then they go to their pre-scripted move. Mm -hmm. So that's not what we're talking about. So we don't dictate the wins. You know, I, I, I don't even like to talk about the wins. I can give Mm -hmm. a little strategies, high foot, high hand, what you can do with stuff like that. 
but I don't associate the high foot with a drop. Yeah. Or a specific move. Those are just like general, you know, tips of, hey, if well, someone's closing out, that's a great time to drive. Yeah, we, we've talked about this. Like, like I, I talked about this a little earlier in this episode, but like I can do a move pretty much whenever I want to, regardless of almost like the situation or where I am. I'm just choosing to do it and see if it works. But are there nice places to do certain moves? Absolutely. Um, Donovan Mitchell does a lot of heavy steps. So when is a great time to do a heavy step? Okay, where defense pinches, if I go heavy, there's a good chance that defender will release. That's a great time to do it, but that doesn't mean that's the only time I have to do it. But I think that's what players get stuck in, is they're like, oh, like I can do a heavy step right here. Well, you could have done a heavy step bringing the ball up. You could do a heavy step on your first step of your second step. You can do it on the second step. Like, do whatever you want. The, the win options are, 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 you know, unlimited. You can, yeah. you can really decide how you like to do things. It's that freedom. But for some reason, and this is where, even when I see how people are trying to define skill, they're trying to define skill without understanding that there are techniques. And so they're turning skill into performance. And so they're getting lost in all the skills. Mm -hmm. And what they're really afraid of is what we're talking about, of is dictating the wins to players, dictating the right time to use moves to players. That's what can end up causing problems. And so because they're afraid of that, then they flock to the environment training where there are no right answers and letting yeah. players explore and self-organize. But that's decision-making training more so than it is skill training. And that's what we're talking about here. You don't get rid of the techniques. You just don't dictate when to use the techniques. Yeah. And when you do, you, you take it with a grain of salt is you, you start to give someone a drop. And then if you realize a player is not accessing it very well, or they just, don't yeah. seem to have a clue of how to use it. Then you can start giving them. So, hey, maybe you think about doing a drop in this scenario, but you definitely don't lead with the wins. Um, most bad players have a common question they ask. And that question is, mm -hmm. when would I use that move? Yeah. Pros don't ask that question very often. It's very rare. You know, the only time they would ever use it, if you give them a move and they're like, I don't like that move. When in the world would I use that? Yeah. But. You typically, when you give them footwork or a move, they don't ask when, they ask how, they ask what it is, mm -hmm. and then they determine the wins. And I think we need to leave more room for players to do that. Yeah. That's what CLA is attempting to do, I think, is they're not, they're not wanting to give the wins, but they're, they're coming about it as if no techniques exist. Yeah. And so we know technique exists, we just don't dictate to them the win. Yeah. We make sure players have the movements. We make sure that they then can put those movements into moves, and it gives them the ability, and I think here's the main point, it gives them the ability to be intentional with how they play. They can use the movements when they need to, and at times, when they know something's going to work, then they can do sequences that they've practiced. Justin Ray is proof of that, and I think we're going to start seeing more and more of that, of high school players being able to take what NBA players are doing, and that's going to evolve the game even more. Absolutely. Gosh, I wish I could remember... I just watched a podcast a little bit the other day where it was a pro player talking about that. Might have been Carmelo. Ah, I can't, I can't remember, but it was a really good talk about that where like they were kind of talking about the rules of the game a little bit. There needs to be like one common rule for every level. So that way people can stop being like, oh, that's okay as a, as a pro, but not in high school. But we're seeing kids in high school do the exact same thing guys in the NBA are. You know, I get that at some point things are about the rule book, but it's more about the refs that you have and how they're calling the game. Um, and I, and I think, I think people are starting to see this more, but you know, we're seeing players doing things that are unbelievable, even at the youngest of ages, because they're copying 
and they're pasting what their favorite players are doing. Because skills are skills are mm-hmm. skills are skills. Yep. And that's why I always tell people, like, how do you train an NBA player different than a kid? You don't really. They're the same skills. Yep. The only difference is, is how good at the skills they're going to be. But you have the same material. And that's what people don't understand. Because skills are the same for everybody, because the skills of the game are simply there to be grabbed, everybody can work on skills the same way. And so the methods might slightly adapt, but the skills are the same. That's how we are able to train literally kids Mm -hmm. and pros almost identically. No different. Where most training systems have a progressive system where they have beginners and then they have intermediate and then they have advanced. If you come to one of our sessions, you're going to see, we would prove it to you. The same thing we would do with an NBA all-star is the same thing we're doing with a kid. It's no different. The only difference is their weaknesses in it. And that's what we bring them through. Well, that wraps up, I think, another episode of Dream Loudly. We will see you again. And, and, and if you guys ever um, have any thoughts for us, throw some comments into the YouTube. Throw some comments into our Instagram. Let us know some things that you'd like us to talk about. But until then, we'll see you next week.